tangent. So when Hazel and I were downstairs and you were napping. When was this? Like three years ago? No, no. You you squeezed in a nap a few a few days ago. And we're we're sitting down there and we were missing you. She was going, Oh, Miss Mama. And Rockwell started going, So I went, Jen. And Hazel's like, that's not how you do it. This is how I do it. Mama! <laughs> yes, I do remember that now. <laughs> I wasn't napping. I was folding laundry. Oh. <laughs> is that what you think I'm doing when I'm up there folding I'm sorry. laundry? Think I'm You're a hero. <laughs> All moms are. Welcome to the second episode of the Apocalypse Pulfcast. My name is Andrew Pulfer, and this is my fabulous wife, Jen. Hi, Jen. Good to be with you. And you. And all of you fine folks out there in podcast land, we are going to talk about Love Light's journey into the apocalypse. Oh, it's intense. (laughs) Well, anywho, in these discussions, we're also going to talk about Christian art and creativity. So let's begin today's episode with a story I like to call Hardcore Band and the Cleaning Lady. So there I was, high schooler in Paso Robles with my dear friend Nathan Slauson, and we were getting ready to to have a rehearsal for our hardcore band. There were only two of us. Um, (laughs) We just wanted to make music, but Nathan forgot his drumsticks. So he found some ice cream scoops from the downstairs kitchen at our church. And he brought those up to the main auditorium where we started rocking out. You know, you know the stuff, Jen. Let me hear you scream. No. I can't. And unbeknownst to us, there was a cleaning lady. Um, she's probably in her 70s. Very nice lady, we thought. <laughs> <laughs> Playing about 10 minutes. And she comes over to us very quietly and she says, I can't believe you guys. This is not worship this is not music that is pleasing to god's ears and i remember we talked to her probably about an hour and i I was dismantled i I wasn't used to people being disavowing what we thought was worship like to me that was my praise that was my this was our worship but to her it was this clamorous noise that needed to stop and i remember your mom jen very rad lady she said i know these people and this is worship to them and i remember feeling so encouraged and that particular moment has fueled the rest of my life as a worshiper to be myself to worship my god in the way that i felt like i was created to for the season of my soul artist rests a blank canvas onto a well-worn easel. Soft light pours through the windows and he waits. He listens to the sounds of his soul. Slowly, he dips his brush into a puddle of color and glides it back and forth, transforming a white rectangle into something entirely new. It requires equal amounts of passion and precision. 
as the colors grow every ounce of his own joy, anger, hurt, happiness, success, and failure are poured out through his fingertips. Hours and days pass until finally he steps back. His very heart is displayed, vulnerable, hanging on a wall. The artistic process comes with great risk. Art is often born out of pain and honesty. If an artist happens to be lucky enough to share their creation with the world, their carefully crafted work is then open to scrutiny and an ever-shortening attention span. Musicians and worship leaders share the artist's heart. We love our craft. We pour our deepest selves into a crowded room with our voices and instruments, and we too are met with the verbalized, unabashed opinions of strangers. As long as love light has existed, our songs have always had a dual purpose. To worship Jesus and to be a genuine expression of the season we are in. Whether that season is as colorful and alive as spring or as dry and reaching as winter. Has our music always been well received? Definitely not. We have been told more than once that our songs don't fit anywhere because the music is too strange for Christian audiences and the lyrics are too Christian for secular audiences. We have always landed in some musical third place, a purgatory of weird synthesizers and anthems to Jesus. But there was a certain point in our career when we decided we had to be okay with that. After all, who are we? if we are not simply ourselves. The body of Christ is made up of the strangest and most beautiful things. It is not uniform. It is a great mishmash of colors, personalities, abilities, and backgrounds. When you see it up close, it might look like a mess, but when you step back, there is a working masterpiece that points to a creator. And there is so much freedom when we rejoice in our uniqueness and recognize that our individual gifts are working together to create a true work of art. And God is the painter. The praise of man does not define a person's worth. I will say that it is admittedly difficult to be vulnerable when our culture places such value on numbers number of YouTube views, number of Instagram followers, number of Facebook fans, number of likes per post, numbers, numbers, numbers. These are the world's empty measures of success. But it is when we choose to be open and willing to be who God created us to be that our light can shine most effectively. Whatever our gifting, let us use it to grow the kingdom of God and not just our own careers. At the end of the day, with all of our quirks and flaws, as long as we allow our creator, the greatest artist of all, 
to use us as he intended, then he will always be glorified and the church will be a unique tapestry of wonderful weirdos working together in his name. Ephesians 2.10 For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God has prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. So, Jen, you have always been writing music for as long as I've known you. I remember seeing you write songs, and I felt so challenged by it. Why did you want to write songs in the first place? Well, I think I was like five or six years old, and I got a little keyboard, one of those little Casio keyboards. I wish I still had it, because it was probably really cool. And I don't Did it have a drum machine now. on it? Oh, yeah. <laughs> little hexagon-shaped <laughs> drum pads. Anyway. Um, and I would sit in my room and just make up little notes. The cool thing is I've started to see Hazel, our five-year-old, start making up songs. She makes up songs for everything all day long, so it's kind of cool to see that side note. But um, it's kind of been my way initially to, to entertain myself, and then that turned into a way to express myself, and then eventually it turned into an offering to my creator and a way that I could pour out worship to him. Um, not so much in a a standard congregational way always, but just in my own pouring out. I remember one of the songs. The hook was, Let's give it all away <laughs> and follow it. I was nah. like, man, I need, to get, I need to know how to write songs. Because I remember that it, it has a certain power. It has a very interesting thing for you to be able to create something from scratch for the purpose of worship. And to me, that seemed like the the highest journey that I could set myself on. So I appreciate that in, that inspiration and encouragement. <laughs> it has brought us to where we are now. So as a band, we began at APU. You had graduated college and we at were Calvary. newly married. Yep. Calvary, Calvary Bible, Bible College. college. And we started writing songs just because we wanted to write something that was an expression from our own hearts. And I had grown up singing other people's songs, and it felt like such an exciting thing to be able to create my own song of praise for my king. So we put together some songs and put out a five-song EP, and it made its way into the hands of a Christian record executive, one of the large labels. And he was so interested that he wanted to come see us. So he flew out from Nashville to come see our second show ever. 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 So if you know anything about music, you have to be uh, playing more than twice in order to be good at something. So <laughs> he was there for a second time. Our first time, well, let me back up. So our first time was supposed to be at Smart City Grinds. But the sound guy poured his coffee on the board as we were sound checking. And this loud noise came over the whole stereo, so we had to cancel the show. We rescheduled that show. And amazingly, everybody that we knew came. And it was like a packed house. I think, was it sold out? I think it might have sold out. Our first show ever was sold out, so we were on top of the world. We felt like heroes. <laughs> Great and I glorious. Think it was, I think it was more that we were smart enough to put really popular people <laughs> in our band to, <laughs> to start out. <laughs> yep. So our, we were going in with great confidence in Dora Shuckin's show ever <laughs> to play in front of a record executive. 
as well as uh, Phil Wickham was there also. He was hanging out with he the regular. He was hanging out, regular. and so I'm terrified. I, I when I finally look out and realize we're not ready to play this show. <laughs> well, also one of my personal heroes as a high schooler is was Sarah Sarah McIntosh, who was in a band called Chasing Furies yeah. in the '90s. I was just a puddle of sweat. I couldn't remember <laughs> lyrics to songs I wrote. It was a, a real, oh, a a real sight to see. So after we played, <laughs> we went and saw a real band play, Future Forestry, <laughs> and they killed it. Oh, and uh, so the following day, we got coffee with this record executive, and he was asking this very important question that happened to make me feel very small. But he asked this question, why does the world need another Christian worship band? And I was like, ugh, stumped. I was, ugh, sunk. I'm like, we're not getting signed. I just know it. Like, I, <laughs> I felt that. Well, I just, it was kind of like when you have to write an essay and you don't read a book. We were just kind of like, ooh, oh, well, you, you're yeah, trying to make that, something up. I was reading in, bet- in between the lines and going, this means we're not getting signed. <laughs> and at that moment, the heavens opened <laughs> and a bird of God unloaded the biggest bird poop on that cool record executive's black shirt just it made me feel so much better about myself because i was feeling so small because i didn't have poop on my shirt modern day dove of peace (laughs) the the dove of poop the dove of poop yeah Yeah. (laughs) so but that question stuck with us and so we've made albums you know, we we have five now. We have... We didn't get signed, by no, the way. No, yeah, we didn't get signed. So we've made Nearness, All Color, In Three Persons, and Hopeful Strangers, and all of these albums have been incredible snapshots of where we were at the time that we made those. The song that was in our heart at that time. And all along the way, why does the world need another Christian worship band? And I, f- I feel like we're finding that response each time that we make a new album. And here we are with Apocalypse Hymnal. This is our, our full-length album that's coming out this year, the later part of October. And it's it's crazy if you consider it as a worship album. It does not sound like anything out there right now. And we might be shooting ourselves in the foot if we're trying to be financially successful. But this is who we are. And this is the song that we love to sing. And we are intentionally creating something that comes out of us. There is great beauty in the song of the redeemed. It is a reaction to what God has done. Worship is not a sound or a style of music. It's a song of the heart. It's a soundtrack to the season of the soul. We don't want to be song leaders, but we want to be moment makers. Even though the style and sound of worship has changed, we still get caught in patterns. So if Apocalypse Hymnal is anything, I want it to be disruptive because patterns can become white noise. Like the Sistine Chapel was a brilliant piece of religious art that ended up being copied and became the standard of what religious art was to look like. The hard part is that patterns are profitable. There's an expectation that people will receive it and that it will be successful. But I don't know how our new music will be received, but I'm proud of it. And I don't want to be a leader of nostalgic noise, but one of broken and honest artistic praise.
2016, a tumultuous year for America. Violence dominated headlines. News cycles were in a spiral of panic. Politics found a new low and a general sense of division began to burrow itself into the heart of not only America as a whole, but much of the American church as well. A new nationalism that was foreign to our generation was creeping into our culture as voters were bombarded with angry rhetoric on a foundation of fear rather than hope. And from our personal perspective, we, along with many of our peers, felt a sense of disillusionment with the general Christian response to this rhetoric. However, we're waving a different flag, a message of kindness and tolerance, a message of speaking the truth in love with humility, a message that reminded us to recall the one precious thread that binds the church together, Jesus. In the midst of debate, arguing, and tension, Jesus was the one name that we could all agree on. And His love was and is the only thing that would bring hope, not political hope, but true hope, eternal hope, to a dying land. As Lovelight, we knew that the best offering we could bring to frustrated and hurting people were songs of that very hope. Songs that tell the truth, even the hard truth, in love. Our worship is our comfort and our battle cry, and we will not be silent. Apocalypse Hymnal, Love Songs for the End of the World. Jesus has sent us to be his disciples and to be his hands and feet, to be a part of the reparations, to be a part of the repair process of, and inviting people into new life. So as we were working on our new music, I was searching for inspiration. And during this time and all of the upheaval and all of the confrontational rhetoric and all the stuff that's happening out there, I began to be inspired by God's love for his people, God's love for the world. So one of the songs that came out of that time and out of the response to what the culture was doing was the song Mercy Rain. And it's a bit of a rain dance. It is a cry for repentance for God to send his healing, merciful rain on the desert of our desolation. The lyrics begin with the words, the lonely fire of hate. And hate is a weird thing because it can be so unifying at first, but then it eventually leads into loneliness. Hate is not an issue of the matter, but it's an issue of the heart. So this, this rain dance of repentance is seeking the Lord to quench that. Without Jesus, there is poison coursing through everyone's veins and it needs to be extracted. And the only possible cure for this poison is our everlasting Prince of Peace.
As Christian artists, we have always existed in this uh, relationship of responding to God's faithfulness, inspired by the Word of God and our own personal experience. And so, as we write these songs, it is a cry to change our own hearts. This is not a call against someone else, but this is something that we internalize as our own prayer. Like for me, I really want to see my God have complete control over my heart to give me. Uh, a vision of grace when I look at people. And so I feel like as, as Christians, we have this responsibility to write custom-made worship songs and to create custom-made art from our own perspective to the King that has given us life, who has custom-made his people. He wants custom art. I love to worship, and that is many times separate from my love of music as an art form. And I feel like for us in this season, this album uh, brings the two together for me, which is something I'm personally excited about, artistic parts of who I am. And it's an offering to Jesus. And that's something that I've personally, uh, I've had to dig far and deep to find those songs that that touch me in that way. And I feel like there's a lot of us in the musical community who play in bands and, and play worship. My hope and my prayer is that those people can connect with the Lord through this music. If we could put more into the world that we're not separating the two quite as much. I think that for the, for the musician, for the artist, for the person who is kind of odd and likes art house films and just, you know, foodies and just whatever, you know, whatever kind of strange person that, that I am and the people that I'm, I'm drawn to. I think my prayer and my hope is that, you know, you'll find a place of worship in this album that we're trying to make here. Yeah. It's, it's invitationally disruptive. Christian art has always existed ever since man has been able to react to God. And I feel like art originally existed for that great purpose. He has given us hands. He's given us eyes and mouths and, and uh, voices to be able to sing and to be able to create. And I, I think it's not for our own glory and our own purpose. And so it finds its meaning when we do it with great intention and great, great desire for our King. I want to lead you in worship with these songs in an inventive and adventurous way. So I hope that you come along with us. Hey, Jen. 
Yeah. Why does the world need another worship band? The world doesn't need another worship band, but God deserves more worship, so we're not going to stop. Be on the lookout for our new album, Apocalypse Hymnal, a.k.a. Love Songs for the End of the World. It is a worshipful response to all of the craziness that is going on in our country, in our world, in our lives, as parents. When it feels like the world falls apart, Jesus is still there. If you would like more information about what you heard in this podcast, check us out at lovelightmusic.com or Instagram account at lovelightmusic.com.